You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus. It's another Grassroots podcast, the podcast for unsigned artists. And it is week 33 of Q&A. And at the moment, as a nation, we're pretty much celebrating the fact that on Wednesday night, England beat... Um, do you know what? I can't remember. Denmark to get through to the final of the Euros. Unbelievable. 55 years of hurt. The nation's gone a bit crazy in terms of the propaganda that comes with that. I read a little article in the paper and it said Harry Kane stepped up the um, almost as if the pain of 55 years etched on his face as he placed the ball meticulously on the spot. 70,000 people, 140,000 eyes trained on the ball, almost willing it to go past the diving keeper. And I'm thinking, he kicked it, he missed it, he saved it, and he took the rebound and kicked it again, and it went in. And I don't care, because we won. So, unbelievable how they make something Shakespearean out of something that I seem to I seem to see as something quite easy. Um <clears throat> A very, very good game as well. I enjoyed it. We'll see what happens on Sunday. But whatever happens, always nice to be in the final of your own tournament, I guess. And I don't often uh, talk about football because, I'll be absolutely honest, I've never followed it to any level. But um, I think after the year everyone's had, I think everyone's a little bit happy that at least we've got something to um, be positive about. Although on a musical level, from a musician's point of view, the fact that you can have 70,000 people or watch a football match and you couldn't have 20,000 people to watch a concert still pees me off. And I still think that, uh, you know, you can get that many people in a football stadium, but I can't still hug my mum. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking someone's being screwed over here and I don't think it's the footballers. Um, anyway, look, that's me rant over. I try and keep it as rant free as I can every single week. But you've been sending your questions in again. Um, first of all, I did have a nice holiday. Thanks for those of you who asked me. Um, a little escape down to Walton on the Nays. I love Walton on the Nays. Um, I've always enjoyed the Great British Holiday, I guess. Getting on a plane is nice. I've enjoyed being, you know, in Spain and be, going around, uh, you know, various places in Europe over the years. But um, to be absolutely honest, I, I kind of like to have the Great British Summer because I like to get away from it. I think if you have nice weather, um, you tend to get dragged out a lot more. Whereas if the weather's lousy, you can sit on your backside in the caravan and write a few songs and um, watch a bit of tennis. So, um, yeah, enjoyed that. So, anyway, let's get straight to your questions. Um, don't forget www.innovationstudios.com is the website. And don't forget that innovationstudiosuk at gmail is the mail address that you can send me an email on with your question. Um, and the other thing is my quick disclaimer, which is the answers I give are based on the questions that you give me, and my answers are based on the knowledge and the equipment I've used for over 30 years in this crazy, crazy business. Let's get to work. The first question is from Duncan in Norfolk. He doesn't specify where in Norfolk. It's a big place, Duncan. He just says, simple question, Marcus, have you written your best song? <laughs> Hello, Duncan. I don't think anybody has written their best song. Um, and if they have, then they're lying to themselves or maybe they don't have the same sort of ambition. I think as a songwriter going or, or any sort of creative, um, any, any sort of creative art, um, go and ask Rembrandt if he'd uh, painted his best picture. Go and ask, um, you know, uh, Stradivarius if he made his best violin. The answer is that uh, the best song you're going to write should be the next one. 
I think in, in music industry, um, and I use the word industry because it's massive. So although I only play a few pubs and a, a few festivals here and there, look, I'm part of an industry here. Um, we are driven by the search for perfection. If we ever find it, then we're either lying to ourselves or it's time to retire. We've never played the perfect gig. We've never had the perfect sound. You can always tweak it. But what drives us on is the quest for the perfect sound. Um, if we get a nice PA and we know it sounds right, yeah, we can stay true to it. And we can say, okay, we know how it works. You know, when I work in the duo with uh, Ken or the trio with Ken, we know our sound. We set it up and we do it. And only, all we really do is tweak the master depending on the, side of the size of the venue. But it doesn't mean that now and again... Um, probably more often than not, we're always trying to, you know, maybe we should try a bit more um, reverb on my vocal or your vocal. Or uh, So we're driven by trying to get um, tracks, change tracks. Maybe should, could we take the key of that track down a bit or up a bit to, to get the best out of my voice? Um, and in terms of creating, no, I've written my best song. Uh, no. It's very much like the, the, the answer to the question, how many guitars does a guitar player need? The answer is just one more. Um, the answer to have you written your best song is, or uh, have you written your best song yet? What's your best song? The answer should be the next one. Because otherwise you can get complacent. And I, there's a story about Tony Hancock, who was, a, for those of you who don't know, was a very legendary comedian in the 50s and 60s. He had Hancock's Half Hour and... Um, and he was with Sid James in his own series. And uh, fortunately, Tony uh, took his own life in 1968. Um, and it was, a, a lot of people put it down to, obviously it was manic depression and things like that. Of course, there were there were issues like that. But a lot of people around him always said that he did a sketch called The Blood Donor. That um, if you haven't seen it, it's a, I think it's a masterpiece of a sketch, but it's, uh, you know, and what he considered uh, to be he kept saying, it's never going to be as good as that. It's never going to be as good as that. And then I think he started to look at his own work in a different way. And, I'm, and in no way am I disrespecting um, him or his family if, I, if I've got that wrong. I just mean, this is the stuff that, that you read about and you hear about. And he was so obsessed with the fact that it was never going to get any better than that, that he knew he was going to probably spend the rest of his career trying to get as good as that. So in one way, maybe he's acknowledging that he did his best with something. I think in another way, maybe he's um, he's putting himself down as uh, or putting his talents down and thinking, you can do something better than that. Every band that brings an album out, yeah, she's our best work so far. And I think with this, it's very much, uh, Duncan, how do you measure a piece of string, all right? Because you go and ask... Van Morrison, and I don't know Van personally, obviously, but from what I've read and from what I've seen in the interviews I've I've read and uh, and seen, um, hates Brown Eyed Girl, just hates it, and um, but commercially it's his most successful song. It doesn't necessarily mean it's his best, but it's probably people say Van Morrison, oh Brown Eyed Girl. Now he's probably written a thousand songs, but the one that everybody knows is Brown Eyed Girl. And I think in that particular case, he doesn't consider it his best, his best song. Um, at least that's what I've, I've heard. And Jeff Beck hates, by all accounts, Hi Ho Silver Lining. Is it his best song? He'd probably say no. 
there's so many other choices from Jeff Beck. He's, he's another absolute legend of this industry. But um, his most commercially successful song is Hi Ho Silver Lining. I don't know whether it's his best song. Um, for me, um, there, there are songs that I've written that I consider to be the best song I've written so far. But I don't spend the rest of my time trying to live up to that. I just spend time doing the best I can with the next one. I think you have to have a realisation that the Beatles after Sgt Pepper released three albums. And if they, I think maybe if they'd have spent so much time trying to make another Sgt Pepper, they wouldn't have made it. I think if the Beach Boys had tried to, to, to make another Pet Sounds, um, they wouldn't have made it. And I think that a lot of the time, I think sometimes you become... Uh, in my opinion, of course, this, which is what this podcast is about, you become a victim of your own success. You know, I remember saying to my brother at, at the time when um, Oasis had, we were going to see Oasis at Nebworth in 1996. And I said, it's not this album. This isn't the album. And, uh, you know, I said, it's the next one because this is this has made them. So the next album is the one that will probably sell on the basis that this album was massive. So the, in that case, the 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 um, what's a story album in '95 went through the roof and took them, you know, worldwide fame. So you felt that anything they released in 1997 would sell just on the back of that, and I think that people would make a true judgment with the album after that. Now I get, you know, being doing what I do and playing in the Oasis tribute band, and having followed that band for years. I get so frustrated when I hear the negative comments about to be here now because I've met so many people who consider that one of the best albums they made and I still do and this is what I've said before you know although it commercially successful it what it maybe wasn't as commercially successful as uh, what's the story it's an amazing album and it's one of my favorites and if somebody says to me you got to play an Oasis album I'd say I'll play that one because it's not about playing it so that people can listen and rock out to all of the great hits. It's a body of work that I consider to be one of the best things they did. But they don't. If you if you listen to them, they say, no, we dropped the ball there, you know. I think, well, I wouldn't mind dropping a ball that size. Um, so, no, I haven't, Duncan, written my best song. Um, and I hope, in a funny sort of way, that I never do. I just hope that I do the best with every song that I... Uh, write and record and that's the only thing I can hope for in, in my constant um, search for perfection which again as I said if I if I ever find it I'll retire but you're driven by doing the best you can um, with everything you're given so yep yeah, I'm looking forward to writing my next album and working on the next thing which which actually very very quick plug uh, the men of earth black cat on the line came out on the 4th of July Already been, um, had a little bit of airplay in the US, um, by all accounts. Um, I don't expect to be going on a world tour any anytime soon, but um, it's nice to know that the music's getting out there. So, um, again, none of the stuff on that album is the best I've ever done. It's just the best I could do with the songs that I wrote for that album. So, thanks for your question, Duncan. I hope you're a songwriter too, mate, and I hope um, that you never write the best song you've ever written. I think you do the best with everything you're given and you you constantly, constantly search for something new all the time, mate, and do your best with it. 
Thanks for that, mate. You take care. Innovation Studios, hoodies, many colours and sizes available. Our logo proudly emblazoned on the front. The back can be personalised with your name or your nickname, or anything you want, as long as it isn't too shocking. Click to order online, www.innovationstudios.com. Roy says, Roy's in Peterborough. Hello, Roy in Peterborough. Hello, Marcus and all everybody at um, Innovation Studios and Grassroots Music UK. I know I should use a plectrum, but it's so loud and my walls are paper thin, so I use my fingers, but now I can't get out of the habit. Is there any advice you can give me? Hello, Roy. Um, yeah, I've come across this before, and, and um, it's quite a common um, issue when you're learning an instrument, or even when you've mastered an instrument, it's still a common issue, because sometimes you get an idea for a song, and you think, oh... I want to play my guitar, but the walls are paper thin. Um, the answer, there, there are a couple of options. First of all, you don't have to use a plectrum, Roy. It's There's nothing that says you have to. But if you're looking to obviously play some, you know, strum work, and then, then it's better if you do. Um, I think what happens is um, you, you, you come and see me or you, or you learn, you have a guitar lesson or you, you can make a bit of noise. Um, and then you go home and, and every time you pick up your guitar, somebody moans about the noise you're making or your walls are paper thin. So, you know, you think, oh, I better play it quietly. Now, there are three bits of advice that I can give you. The first one is it's okay to play with fingers. It's not wrong. It's just, you know, people want to use a plectrum because you get a nice rasp. So that's your first bit of advice is it's okay to play with fingers. Nobody said it's not okay. Second bit of advice is you could get yourself an electric guitar and um, a practice amp with headphones and then you can play as loudly as you want because the only sound you're making is in your own head or just play it and don't um, plug it in and you can make as much noise with it if you want. So that's sometimes a good thing to play an electric that isn't plugged in because you can play it properly and strum it properly. Well, it doesn't sound like an acoustic but if you're learning and you're just trying to get the job done and learn the chords and move them around then, you know, I would do that and there's no noise. The other thing is you can get a sound, uh, they call it like a sound hole cover for your acoustic, and it's a little black circle that fits into the sound hole of your acoustic guitar. And basically, I mean, I've, I've used one occasionally if I've been playing uh, a bigger, uh, I was going to say a stadium, I don't know who I think I am, but a bigger festival when my acoustic, sometimes it might just resonate a bit. So I've stuck that in the sound hole and then the sound crew, have. there's been nothing to, uh, to to cause or at least as much feedback as we as we were getting. But I haven't used it very much. But it does um, dampen the sound of your acoustic guitar by probably 50% at least. So you can strum it with that and if that uh, keeps your neighbours happy, you still get the sound of the acoustic. It doesn't fill the room as much. But you can still run your game um, and, you know, get the fingers moving and strum it like an acoustic and get used to the feel of it. And then now and again, you just, if you're feeling confident, you take take the sound old cover out and give it a strum and play it properly. With, wait for your neighbours to go out. Keep keep an eye on them. You know, if, as soon as they go to work, you're like, right, they're at work. Um, you know, hound them, stalk them, find out what their habits are, find out when they're out. Not really. Please don't do that. But... Um, 
you know, if you realise or if you know that you're, you, you've got the space and you can make a bit of noise, you can do that. So sound hole cover, which will dampen the sound of your acoustic guitar by about 50%. Strum an acoustic guitar, a strum an electric guitar that isn't plugged in or is plugged in with, you can get various things as well, like little um, headphones that plug into the jack socket of the electric and then um, go into headphones and sort of little amp simulators and things like that. Or a little practice amp, which, um, you know, if you have it really, really low, um, you can use a headphone socket on that or just have it really, really low. Um, sometimes as well, you know, finding a spot in a house that isn't as loud. Um, sometimes you, you can look at it and go, if I, if I practice in the furthest corner away from there, if, you know, if you've got semi-detached or something like that. Um, uh, or the other thing is, you, it is okay to play with fingers. No, many people have done it um, and it's not a problem. So... See how you get on, Roy. But um, to be honest with you, um, you'll find a way. Um, I would say probably the last option, get a little sound hole cover, is probably the best option for you at the moment. But if you're still getting complaints after that, um, rather than spending out sort of 25 quid to get one of those or 20 quid to get one of those, um, put you know put 60 quid away and just get yourself a, a bottom, of, bottom of the range electric guitar that does a job for you and don't plug it in and you can play it properly and get used to it. But, um, yeah, that's, that, that's my advice, Roy. And, um, I hope you take it or I hope that, uh, you learn from that. And I hope you, you're able to, um, succeed, um, with practicing without upsetting your neighbors, mate. Thanks for your question. Andrea in Barking. Hello, Marcus. How long should you perform on stage at a gig and how often should you take a break? Um, okay, Andrea. Um, there are, options the usual thing over the years has been um something like 8 30 to 9 30 half an hour break 10 to 11 that's what it was when i first started and like most of the musicians out there and i hope i hope you do listen in that was everywhere you played everywhere you you know on at half eight till about half nine and then um yeah to have half an hour break and then 10 to 11 and then it became in some places, 8.30 to 9.45, 15-minute break, 9.15 to 11, um, 10.15 to 11.30. So you're spending two and a half hours on stage. I don't really think um, over the years, uh, unless it was my own choice where I chose not to have a break or or um, working abroad sometimes when you sat by the pool and you're just entertaining and sometimes you, you, you have to do three or four hours, but it's laid back it's not like you're, well you are sweating because of the sun but you're not um on stage it's very rare that i've gone over two and a half three hours um very rare so it's usually and and if you do if somebody does want three hours you, you can normally get a couple of breaks so you'd normally say um let's, have, let's, let's, let's take an average gig let's say it's a 12 o'clock finish i think the important thing to remember is when when venues are talking to you about how you want the evening to go and they tell you it's a 12 o'clock finish. You need to work backwards in terms of your thinking. So you say, okay, so 12 o'clock finish. So we want to do an hour. So we're back on at 11, which means maybe a half an hour break. So that means we're going to have to do half nine till half 10. So it means we've got a break at half nine. So that means we're going to have to do something until nine. So sometimes if some, you, you can make the evening go um, long, uh, feel shorter and also um, go longer. 
by sort of having two 20-minute breaks instead of one 30-minute break. So you would say, somebody says, you want we want you on between half eight and midnight. You'd say, right, well, there's two ways of doing it. We'll go, go straight on and do 45 minutes, 8.30 to 9.15, and then we'll have, let's say, a 25-minute break. And um, so we'll go back on at 9.40 and we'll do to 10.40, and then we'll have a 20-minute break and we'll do 11 till 12. So you're on stage for about two hours 45 but the evening is uh, sort of three and a half, four, four and a half hours. So you've managed to be clever in terms of, uh, sorry, three and a half hours. So you've been clever in terms of taking a couple of shorter breaks. And I think uh, it feels like you're on stage for longer. So you can, I, I always used to say, when, when we used to put packages together sometimes for, for weddings and um you know, private do's and things like that, or some sometimes the venues, but usually the venues have playing times and you kind of stick to them or you don't get paid. Um, but when you when we used to put, um, and now and again we still do, I always say, look, you get two hours. So you can do it as three 40-minute sets with two breaks, or you can do it as two 60-minute sets. So we could either do, you know, half half eight, or let's say half eight till half nine, then half an hour break, and then 10 to 11, and thanks very much. Or we can do half eight till 9.10, then 9.40 till 10.20, and then maybe 10.50 until, you know, 11.30 or 11.40. We'll, we'll, we'll throw for extra ones in at the end. So you're finishing 40 minutes later. You're getting two breaks, but you're still only on stage for two hours. Um, most venues expect, you know, at least two hours out of you. The tribute, sometimes you can get away with 2.45s. Um, and that's usually between something like nine, nine to eleven. But that tends to be at venues where they have um, a disco beforehand, and maybe one at eleven o'clock. So I go on at nine uh, till nine forty-five, and then ten fifteen to eleven o'clock. Thanks very much. Good night, cha-ching. Um, but most of the pubs, the venues, the restaurants, stuff like that, usually you're on stage for at least two hours. I don't think there's any. There's one in Kent that we do where we do 45 minutes and then we do an hour and then we do another hour. Um, but usually it's uh, an hour to an hour and a quarter first set um, or, you know, very rarely, rarely on stage, a lot more than two. two. If you're on stage for three hours and you're getting paid the same, split it and have two breaks. Um, but look, sometimes you're you're a little bit governed by what the venue pays you, how they pay you, whether they pay you, and the times that they expect from you. They'll always try, by the way. Here's a bit of advice for you. Oops, caught my microphone. They will always try to get you on earlier, particularly the doorman. He'll always try and get you, yeah, the bands go on about eight. And so you get ready and you go on just after eight. And then you find out that, no, the bands go on about quarter to nine. He just wanted you on earlier. Um, so that happens quite a lot. They try and... Um, you know, they try to try and get you on earlier. Um, but if you do have a contract, I think the other thing as well, you don't you don't want to be someone who always has a contract, but you have to finalise your playing times. You have to know what you're getting into. Because otherwise, you know, I think it's always good to get into the habit of when you confirm a show, sending an email to say, just, say, just to confirm our show on Sansa Sanso. Um, can you advise playing times, please, or discuss the playing times before you say a definite yes? Because it might be that you say, yes, we'll play for you. And then when you get there, they say, oh, no, we normally have the band on for four hours between eight and 12. Well, look, I'll tell you what, no, they don't, okay, because nobody would stand for that. And if they do stand for that, then that's probably, um, 
you know, that's that's probably somebody who, who does a bit of DJing or plays a bit of stuff. And there's no way. There's no band out there that would say we'll do four hours for you on a Saturday night. And not unless they're getting in the region of 2,000 quid. Because that's two gigs in one, right? And that's a killer. In Hamburg and in Germany and stuff like that in the 70s, yeah, you had to do five 50-minute sets a night. And um, I'm not saying it hasn't happened over the years, but most of the time, it's two to two and a half hours. Anything past that, usually the money goes up a bit or you split it. And you say, once it gets into two and a half hours, then you say, well, I might as well do um, three 45-minute sets, which is um, two and a quarter hours and have a couple of breaks. Yeah, we can work that out. So 260 minutes or 340 minutes, that would be my advice to everybody out there. But um, as, as I said, you are governed by um, what they actually want. So sometimes um, you have to go with that. But don't let them take the mickey out of you by sticking you on stage for three and a half hours because that is a killer. There's too many songs. And you know what? Nobody's that good that you could play for three and a half hours and, and play everything that people like for that long. It can't happen. So... Um, good luck with it, but um, I hope you are moving in those same circles as I am, and I hope you're enjoying it. Thank you, Andrea. Um, Dennis, Dennis is in Suffolk. What are the problems with sharing the bill with other bands? Um, hi, Dennis. What are the problems of sharing the bill with other bands? Um, right. Okay. So I can, I can answer this from both sides. Um, and the first thing I'm going to say is occasionally ego. Um, I've been the young upstart going and supporting bands and going up there and trying to blow them away. Um, and I've also been the old pro looking at these bands coming in and telling you they're the next best thing and then going on the stage and everything's double time. Bat, 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 bat. You know, what is that? So I've been at both sides of this argument. Um, Dennis, but I think the biggest problem away from ego, because it's not like we're not accessible or people are not accessible. We like to sit and we like to share stories. We do like to, you know, to, to talk to the bands and we like to spend the time, as I say, swapping stories and um, the banter that comes with it and stuff like that. So we, we're usually pretty accessible. I think that's the most important thing. Um, and um, so I, I've learned to sort of not, I don't take a lot of notice of stuff like that, these bands coming in and giving it big, because I, I couldn't care less. Um, been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt, the tour shirt, the everything you can imagine. Um, but uh, the, the biggest issue is um, sometimes um, if you're a headlining band, because obviously we're a headlining band, uh, Dennis, if you're the last band on, let's put it that way, all right, then the chances are that... Um, the sound crew will want everybody to use your equipment. And not necessarily the amps, but certainly the drum kit. Now, Oz, uh, our mate Simon Osborne, who's uh, the drummer in Oasis and was, was in Waterwall as well, um, will probably tell you more about this than anybody else. But it, it must be so frustrating for a drummer because you set up your equipment. And I'd say, I'd say that probably drummers are the most generous people that you meet because they share their equipment far more than everybody else. But it's a necessity thing. So... You work with another band, and, and, and the truth of it is, if I gave some young upstart my guitar, I don't know what he'd do with it. And yet, you know, because we're the headline band, we have to be there at sometimes two o'clock in the afternoon to sound check 
And then all that happens is after we've sound checked, we move all of our stuff out the way so that the next band can sound check. And then they move all their stuff out of the way so the next band can sound check. And then eventually all that stuff is cleared as the show goes on. So the, the last band to sound check is the first band that goes on. But somewhere along all of that, by the time we go back on at uh, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, how in the in, 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 in hell is the sound crew going to really remember what settings we had? There's no way. So we're blagging it again. So we learned in the end. We just say, no, we just get there and we just play. But when you're the headline band, sometimes they'll say to you, we need to use your drums, if that's all right. And, uh, you know, the other drummers just use their, their snare and their cymbals. So your stuff's sitting on that stage all day. Um, certainly the drum kit is, with various Herberts sat behind it, thumping the hell out of it. Um, and by the time you go on, you don't know what's, what's happened. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, things over the years where the support band, one of the support band has broken a string and just grabbed one of our guitars. And we've been like, hang on, you know, but you, you, you're seen as being, um, you know, you're seen as being a tosser. If a young kid gets up there and he's doing a show and he busts a string and then looks around and nervously grabs one of your guitars to finish the show, you're seen as the tosser. And yet he's the tosser because he should have had a spare. He should, he should have listened to the Grassroots podcast and he should know that you should always have spare strings and spare guitars exactly for that reason so you don't have to grab somebody else's expensive guitar to get through the gig anyway ran over but um the hardest thing about it is the fact you're sharing the stage with that many people and your equipment is there on show all day um and at the back and it, although it's safe and and to be fair very rarely over the years we, anything's been lost or or stolen or anything like that. It's not that. It's just sometimes it's baking in the sun if it's a warm day. So, you you know, your amps and your pedals and everything are just sat there baking in the sun. Um, your guitars are sometimes, we, we try and put them back in the cases and put them out of the way so they're not up on the stage for that amount of time because, again, they're baking in the sun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the ego thing is not, it's not an ego thing, really. It's just, you know, it's my stage. And once you have to share the stage, nothing on the stage should move unless you move it because you're, you're the person up on that stage. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're sound checking at one o'clock. And by the time you go back on at 10 o'clock, it's a completely different stage with a completely different sound. And all the, all the sound equipment has warmed up as well. Because, I mean, not so much these days because technology has changed, but in the old days, um, you know, the valve amps and all stuff like that. The valves that get warm, they sounded amazing. You know, 10 o'clock at night, it sounded terrible at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So um, sometimes, you you know, the, the, the sound equipment has been has been warming up nicely all day. The uh, atmosphere has changed, so you've sound checked to an empty field or you've sound checked to an empty venue and then you go back on 10 o'clock at night and it's full of people, so it's a different sound anyway when you go on. So... Realistically, sound checks are really just to make sure that everything's working. I don't think anybody's going to look at it and say, oh, you know, you sounded amazing in sound check. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's just to make sure that everything's coming out the front because when you go on, they're going to tweak the sound anyway because everything has changed. And every band that goes on, if they've all sound checked to an empty room, every band that goes on, maybe the first band goes on, there's 25 people there. The second band goes on, there's 60 people there. Third band, there's 75 you know, fourth or fifth band, you're getting up to 150. And we go on at the end of the night, if we've sold out 250 to 300 people, it's a completely different venue, a completely different sound to what it was at one o'clock in the afternoon. But all of those bands have used their kit 
all of those bands have used. Sometimes have used our bass amp as well. Um, and uh, very rarely use the guitar amps because I, I'll always say my guitar's set up for me. I can't, you know, I can't tweak anything. I can't really change anything. Um, so we, we usually, but I'd be generous with it. I'd, you know, if I had to, I'd say, you know, always make sure you know what's going through it. A guitar amp. If they say, well, it's really just a, you know, an overdrive guitar, I say, okay, it's fine. But um, if they start messing about and saying, no, we plug the bass into our, they go, get out of there, you know, what are you talking about? So um, I think the hardest thing about it is just that many musicians all together. Um, and kind of being judged by the support bands as well while you're sound checking. You can see them looking at you and uh, you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know. Um, so, oh, he thinks he's Liam Gallagher, does he? Yeah. Um, it's really equipment. It's just having that amount of equipment on the stage all day. And it's the fact that the poor old drummers have to sound check their kit at one o'clock and then, then let maybe six other drummers pound the hell out of it. And then they've got to sit back behind it at 10 o'clock and expect it to sound the same. Um, and no, that's, that's a nuisance. But um, that's the pitfall. There are many, many positives as well in as much as you know, if you have a lot of support bands, a lot of them bring people, they all buy tickets and financially you do all right at the end of the night. But if your drummer's got to buy 200 quid's worth of Tom uh, Tom because some Herbert's put a stick through it, um, then he hasn't made an awful lot of money on that day, has he? Um, but um, I don't want to be a misery about it. I'm not a misery about it. It's part of it. And I, I've got no problem with it. I'm just saying from the drummer's point of view, it must be a pain, all right? Thank you for your question. Innovation Studios has all the tools you would need to bring your music to life. Get in touch to book a free consultation. This is our opportunity to chat about your music, listen to demos, and if you're unsure, find which pricing would fit you best. There are no hidden costs. Once a booking is made and price agreed, there are no further hidden charges. Our team at Innovation Studios are professional musicians, and we know that sometimes a recording may run into an extra hour or an extra day your original price will stand. Guidance that will help you make a great sounding album at an affordable price. www.innovationstudios.com uh, Lauren in Dunton, and I'm assuming either Dunton in Langdon or Dunton in uh, sort of Biggles Wade way, but either way it's Dunton. Uh, Lauren says, hello, Marcus, as a sound engineer, I'm learning. And I just wondered what is the most unusual background noise you've inadvertently picked up on the microphones when recording? Um, hello, Lauren. Um, yeah, I mean, even though you, your studios are soundproofed and even though you try your hardest to make sure that, that uh, things are as soundproof as they, as they can, you get the obvious things like squeaky chairs, which is like the chair I'm on at the moment. It's a little bit squeaky. So if you're recording a microphone and everything's really, really live, you need to change the chair and get one that doesn't squeak. Um, so you get the obvious things, rustling paper if someone's got lyrics in front of them, uh, squeaky chairs sometimes. Um, one of the things that springs to mind, and there are lots of different stories, but one of the things that springs to mind for me was being in a studio um, a long, fair, fair, fair time ago, and we were working, um, I was putting um, a solo on, something 
And um, I had my guitar and, I, and they said, you know, we really, really want as, as live a sound as we can get. And I got in my little sound booth and, uh, and they said, crank your amp up as much as it will take, which I did. And I cranked it right up and it really took a battery in that day, but it sounded great in the end. But I had a watch on and, and um, I think what had happened because it was a really, really warm day and, and my left hand was sweating so much when I'm trying to play. I took the, my watch off of my left wrist and put it on my right wrist, which is my playing hand. Um, and I thought, well, that'd be okay. And then what happened then was I then rested my hand because it was a solo I was playing. I rested my hand on the bridge. And uh, they said, no, you can't. There's, a, there's this, this clicking sound. We can't work it out. And it was the ticking of the watch being picked up by the pickups on the guitar. And it took us a while. We said, What's that noise? I, said, I don't know. And, um, and I suddenly realized that when I... Um, between takes, um, they said, oh, it's gone now, go for another take. And I put my hand back on the bridge again, and um, they go, no, it's back again. What is that? What is that? Um, and I said, well, it's got to, got to have something to do with my hand. I don't know what it is. And, it, it, you know, I'd like to say it was hours and hours, but it didn't take us hours to work it out. It was just, oh, it's my watch. I took my watch off, did the take, and we were done. But I really didn't expect it. Um, we've had that. The other thing is obvious things like sometimes um, you, it's the low frequency stuff. You might be recording and you might have uh, roadworks outside on the, on the road and it, and it reverberates right through the ground. You know, those pneumatic drills reverberate right through the, through the ground and you suddenly think you can feel it and it's rattling the walls. So, uh, or sometimes if they're putting the foundations in, in, in one of the houses next door, they they nailing these big things into the ground and the whole house shakes and you think your pictures are going to fall off the wall and that. Um, Aeroplanes, um, helicopters, sometimes they break through the soundproofed sound, but it's not, it's really not, um, you know, it's not a terrible issue. I think if the band are playing, you don't really notice it. I think the hardest thing I've had to record recently was uh, a, a lovely lady called Susan Lewis and Susan is a children's author and she um, asked me if she could come in and um, record one of her audio books and, and Susan has a really lovely soft voice but you have to turn everything right up so that you can pick up the resonance of the voice and now I'm thinking my god there's so much interference in the background so we, we moved her to another place in the studio and, and then we eventually got it sorted out but a couple of times I had to stop her because of a helicopter or because of a plane going past or something. And, and this is a really, really soundproofed studio that we have here at Innovation. It's, it's really soundproofed. I mean, you can have a band in here and you can't hear it once you get to a couple of feet away. And yet helicopters and planes and things like that, because it's a low rumble, can sometimes get picked up. Maybe it wasn't picked up by the microphone, but if I can hear it, then chances are the microphone might pick it up and I don't want to run that risk. There are stories of um, famous stories, ACDC recording uh, a drum pattern for Back in Black. And then they said there's a terrible noise and it turned out to be a crab walking across the um, snare drum. Uh, obviously, they weren't actually recording, but they suddenly realized it was a, a terrible noise coming out of that. And it was a crab walking across the snare, which, as you can imagine, was really, really live. Um, uh, it wasn't being played at the time. Otherwise, that crab, I mean, looking at Phil Rudd playing, I think that crab, mate, would have been pretty much crab sticks in about uh, two bars. Um, but that was that, that was one I read about, and I'm sure there's been many, many stories, but for, for myself, 
the strangest thing was my watch being picked up by the pickups on my guitar that was just making almost a bleeping sound. It doesn't make a tick. It kind of makes a bleep. And, and I, as you can imagine, an amplifier cranked right up and a, and a Gibson Les Paul cranked right up. And then you put a watch next to the pickups. <laughs> it's a terrible sound. What is that noise? What is it? What is it? Um, and... Um, yeah, didn't expect it. I've seen it a couple of times since when I've been teaching somebody and I suddenly said, yeah, well, you can take your watch off. You know what it is now. But you learn everything the hard way, right? And that was 20 minutes we can't get back because I should have left me watch on the side. Thank you for your question. Last question comes from Yannick. Yannick says, I am a singer. Straight stand or boom stand? Question mark. What is the difference and what would you recommend? I don't play an instrument. Hello, Yannick. Um, right, okay, so... Um, straight stands are what they say. They are straight stands. Boom stands are the ones that are straight and then come in at a bit of an angle um, as well. You have like a top bit that leans towards you. Now, great if you're playing a guitar. I have found, Yannick, and I don't know anything about you, sir, so I don't know if, how tall you are or, 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 or anything like that, but because I'm over six feet, well, I'm, I'm well over six feet, I've always used a boom stand because the straight stands just aren't tall enough. Um... So for two reasons, really, as well, because they go, the, the boom stands go a lot higher. If you, if, you, if you think about how a drum kit is mic'd, usually boom stands are right at the top because you can get a lot more high. I reckon a boom stand will extend to about eight feet, but uh, a straight stand will only extend to about five and a half feet. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're a singer and you just need to have a stand, you could get yourself a straight stand, but I would always say boom because they are so multifunctional. And if you um, are in a band, Yannick, and, or, or you're doing some recording or anything like that, if you get yourself a boom stand, you can use it live, and you can you can still use it as a fairly straight stand, but also it, it crosses over well. If you're recording acoustic guitars at home, you can manoeuvre it around, and it, it can be like a multi-purpose mic stand as opposed to just being a straight stand for using when you're live. Um, I always think that uh, boom stands are. I, I, I don't even know why they why they they sort of sell straight stands. To be honest with you, because anybody that cares about music, you, you look at it and you sort of say, well, "Why would I want to have that?" Because I've got this multifunctional one, and I could use it for so many different things. I can mic a guitar for it. I can I can you know I can use it to mic my amplifier. I can move it down. I can have it low down, pointing at the drum kit, or the or the kick drum. I can have it mid. Pointing at the um, at the toms, I can have it high as an overhead on the kit. I can use it as a singing stand. I can use it as a recording stand. Uh, so many things you can do with a boom stand. So, Yannick, I'd always say boom stand because um, in my case, it was a necessity originally because I was so tall. But you have the room to move and play. And I know you don't play an instrument, um, but neither did uh, Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees, but he always had a boom stand. Um because he was able to just move it to exactly the right height that he wanted. The other thing as well is the boom stand sometimes, if you're suddenly singing and you need to move it down a bit, you just grab it and you move it down a tiny bit. I wouldn't advise you do it too much because you'll blow, blow the thread out on the, on the uh, nut. But sometimes you can move it down. But a straight stand, the only way of moving it down is to turn the thing round and drop it or turn the thing round and lift it up. So boom stands are so much easier. Um... So I would always say boom stand, Yannick, but um, it is, again, personal preference. And maybe, you know, I don't know if you play an instrument or not, but maybe you might start playing an instrument somewhere along the line. Let's say you might pick up an acoustic guitar and bring it into the band. And then you've got to buy an acoustic guitar, 
and then you've got to um, buy another stand now because you didn't listen and you got a straight one and you haven't got room to get the acoustic in there. But um, I'm only joking, mate. Get yourself a boom stand, Yannick. Um, I would I would always say boom stand. So that is it for another week, week 33. Um, as I've said many, many times in the last few weeks, um, with the restrictions and stuff like that being sort of held over until mid-July, I'm just going to keep doing a Q&A because I'm still getting questions from you. But um, the interviews, the Grassroots Music UK interviews are coming. They are on the way. Um, probably start with Alan Buckley or Steve Catamole, but I've got uh, Lynn Austin Dutton who wants to do an interview. I've got Simon Dawes from the Black Hill Pioneers. Um, Glenn Sissons, who's an absolute legend of um, grassroots music in, in Essex in the UK. Um, and uh, lots of other ones as well that I'm looking forward to arranging. Uh, a few surprises. But that is it for another week. Thanks to everybody that listens. A big hello to Gaz, who I know listens in every every single week. I hope you're okay, mate. Um, and um, again, Innovation Studios, www.innovationstudios.com to find out more about the studio. Innovation Studios UK at Gmail to send me a question. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Until I see you all again, um, hopefully with um, more more news of success from England's game on Sunday. But uh, if you're watching the game, um, I hope you enjoy it. Please stay safe. Please uh, don't get too drunk if we win. That's a funny thing about it. You look at it and you think the England fans, and um, Cheryl, my other half, said, "What well, the trouble is, what will happen if, if England lose? I said, well, the fans will be fighting in the streets and jumping in the in the fountains at Trafalgar Square. I said, but to be fair, if they win... The fans will be fighting in the streets and jumping in the in the fountains at Trafalgar Square. So it doesn't really matter. But um, whatever you do, stay safe doing it. Take care doing it. Keep your questions coming in. I'll be back next week. Uh, it's a lovely sunny day today, so I'm going to go and get a cup of tea and sit in the garden for a while, get some fresh air. Because these 45-minute podcasts, they start to take it out of me after a while. Take very good care of yourselves. God bless you all. I'm out of here, all right? Signing off. Yours your music. Bye-bye for now.